Uh, good morning, church. It is always a great joy to study the Word of God with you. Uh, please open your Bibles to the book of Job. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. And we'll read from verse 1 through 6. Job 42, verse 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hide counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. By nature, humans are motivated by benefits. We are always talking about benefits, we are always thinking about benefits, and we are always seeking benefits. The first question we probably ask before making any decision is, what will I benefit? We want friends we can benefit from. We want jobs with more benefits. And we want churches that will benefit us. Sometimes we even want God to consider our benefits. Whether in a good manner, or bad manner, righteous manner, or wicked manner, we just want benefit. Human wants benefit. The book of Job raises a serious question that many have failed to answer. It shows a standard that many have failed to attain. The question is, how can a Christian continue to save God faithfully when they see no benefit? To answer that question, we will look at three lessons we find in the book of Job. To persevere in faith, when faithfulness seems to be producing no benefit, we need to understand, one, the limit of human reason, verse 3. Two, the fallacy of human traditions and religions, verse 4 to 5a. And three, the wisdom of the sovereign God. 5b and 6, and also verse 2. The book of Job starts by describing what kind of man Job was. Job 1, verse 1, shows us four virtues. One, Job was a blameless man. This does not mean that Job was sinless, but that he was a man of integrity, a pious man who was matured in his relationship with God. Job was a man who did not have a bad reputation. Two, he was upright. Job was a righteous man. He was a man who obeyed God. He did what was right. He was not crooked or dishonest man, but he was a trustworthy man, a man of his ways. Three, Job feared God. All other virtues actually spring from this one. This is the virtue that worked out faith in Job's life. Job had a deep reverence for God. 
He knew God is holy. He knew that God is a righteous God who punishes sin. And it is for that reason that he made burnt offerings for his children, fearing that they might have sinned against God or they might have cursed God in their hearts. For Job turned away from evil. He rejected evil. He did not delight in wrongdoing. He was so intentional in dealing with sin that he did not just avoid sin, but he planned how not to sin. Chapter 31, verse 1, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. These are virtues Job had as the fruits of his phrase. And these are virtues that Christians have as they continue to grow in sanctification. In addition to his righteousness, Job was a wealthy man. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, This man was the greatest of all the people of the East. However, tragedy struck. God told Satan that Job was a righteous and blameless man, and there was none like him on the earth. Then Satan asked a question that is probably the most important question in the book of Job. A question that shapes the entire book of Job. And that question is found in chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. Then, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. In short, Satan was saying to God, Job only serves you because of the benefits he has. So Satan requested God to remove all the benefits to prove that Job will abandon him. And that request was granted. From then, things went south for Job. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were blowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone has escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servant and consumed them. And I alone has escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The children formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servant with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people. They are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. Here we see that Job lost everything that he owned. Not only that, but he also lost his children on the same day. As if there was not enough, Job also struggled with his health. He had painful sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. His situation was so bad that when his friends came to show him sympathy and to comfort him, they were left speechless. Seeing him suffer, they sat with him for seven days without saying a word. 
this once great man had become a shade of himself. Talking about his former glory, in chapter 29, verse 7, Job said, When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. When the eye saw, it approved. Verse 25, I lived like a king among his troops. Talking about his latter demise, he said, chapter 30, verse 1, But now they laugh at me. Men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flocks. Chapter 19, verse 14, My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a strange to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends are against me. And those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. How can Job remain faithful when he has lost everything and his life is miserable? That leads us to our first point. To persevere in faith when faithfulness seems to be producing no benefits, we need to understand the limits of human reason. Let us look at our text. Job 42 verse 3. Who is this that hide counsel without knowledge? This is actually a question that God asked in chapter 38. Here is Job, Job's answer in the last part of verse 3. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Now, there are a lot of commendable things we will learn from Job. However, I would also like us to learn from his defect. Here in verse 3, he admits that he uttered things he did not understand when he lost everything. At first, he seemed to be handling everything well. He remained steadfast even after losing his children and all his possession. Job 1 verse 21 says, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But when his health deteriorated, things became difficult for him. The first thing he did was to curse the day of his birth. He questioned his very existence. In his eyes, life had no meaning. God was keeping him in the world for no reason. Job 3 verse 11 says, Why did I not die at birth? Job saw his life as a waste. He thought his life was purposeless. And Job didn't think anything positive can come out of his life. In chapter 7, he complained about his restless life. The days and nights were all the same to him. His days were so miserable that he would long for a night. But at night, he would also be terrified by dreams and visions and found himself tossing till the morning. Job 7 verse 16, he said, I hate my life and I don't want to go on living. However, at this moment, Job was still persevering. He did not decide to terminate his life. Instead, he brought his lament to God. 
With his limited understanding in his hopeless situation, Job cried to God. Brothers and sisters, our understanding is limited. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by our troubles. We don't have answers, but we can always cry to God. Our laments should be directed to God just as Job's lament was directed to God, at least at first. Now, as things became more and more difficult, Job's language changed. He started to proclaim his innocence. Job's argument was he did not deserve to suffer. He listed the good things he did to prove that he was a good man. Job 29 verse 14 says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. On a personal level, Job was a righteous man who shunned evil. In relation to others, Job was a man who loved and served other people. It frustrated him, therefore, to see himself suffering when he thought he had ticked all the right boxes. As his frustration grew, Job started to blame God. He felt God was not fair to him. Job wanted to contend with God, and since God was mighty, he wished there was a mediator who would help him. Job's argument was that he did not deserve to suffer, but God was making him suffer. At this moment, Job thought he was right and God was wrong. Isn't that the same way we think when we face difficulties? Have you ever felt like God does not understand what I'm going through? Or he is not taking my problem serious. If he did, he would not allow me to suffer as I am suffering. If you have, then you are not alone. Job felt like that. Furthermore, Job was angry at God. He accused God of being cruel to him. Job 30 verse 21 says, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. This is how Job felt in his distress. And this is how he expressed all his frustrations. It was at this moment that Job said things he was not supposed to say. He thought he was right. He was so sure that God was unfair to him. But unlike Job, if we understand the limitations of human reason, we will not be quick to say things we are not supposed to say. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now that we have seen the importance of understanding limitations of human reason, we move to our next point. To persevere in faith when faithfulness seems to be producing no benefits, we need to understand the fallacy of human traditions and religions. Let us look at our text. Job 42, verse 4 to 5a. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. This again is what God said in chapter 38. Now look at Job's response. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now, there is a reason Job spoke the way he did. 
There is a reason Job perceived life the way he did. There is a reason Job blamed God the way he did. Job's knowledge of God was highly impacted by the wisdom of the ancient Near East, a place where he lived. In the ancient Near East, there were a lot of gods who were obviously not associated with the only true God, Yahweh. These gods were hard to please. They were not really concerned with ethical behavior. Rituals were the only thing that mattered to these false gods. So when someone was suffering or sick, he didn't know whether he had accidentally stepped on a sacred space of a god or he had eaten food that was forbidden by that particular god. For that reason, a sufferer would look for a mediator and a mediator would tell them what ritual they needed to perform in, in order to appease that god so that things will be normal again. Does that sound familiar? Yes, if you think of ancestral worship. However, Job knew that the true God was different. So even though he thought a mediator might be helpful, but he understood that unlike false gods, the God of heaven is mighty and wise, therefore no earthly mediator will be able to help him. In addition to many gods, in the ancient Near East, they believed in the retribution principle. The retribution principle simply states that the righteous will prosper, but the wicked will suffer. Does that sound familiar? It should, because this is what you get when you watch Christian television and see all this health and wealth doctrine that is mixed with karma. These false teachers tell you that your enemies deserve to suffer as a result of karma, but you deserve to prosper because you are a good person. The false, the false hope that comes from prosperity gospel is not something new. This is what they believed in the ancient Near East. And this is exactly what frustrated Job. Job is saying, I am righteous, therefore I deserve to prosper. But his three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, they are saying, no, Job, you are wicked and you deserve to suffer. In chapter 4, verse 7, Eliphaz says, remember, who that was innocent have ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God, they perish. In other words, Eliphaz is saying to Job, we have never seen a righteous person suffer. So you, Job, are suffering because you are wicked. You are reaping what you sow. In chapter 5, verse 8, as I paraphrase, Eliphaz said, if I were you, Job, and I was in the same situation, I would just repent. To Eliphaz, this was not a rocket science. This was easy. Job needed to repent, then things were going to be okay. This is retribution principle at its best. And it sounds exactly like prosperity gospel. When they say, you just need more faith, then all your troubles will go away. Are you poor? Are you sick? Is someone dying at home? Oh, just plant a seed and have faith, then everything will be okay. That is the foolishness of the prosperity gospel. And it is one of the cousins of retribution principle that we see in the book of Job. Now, when Job refused to repent and argue that he was innocent, a second friend, Bildad, joined the conversation. His argument is that Job's children sinned, and because of that, they died. And he is warning Job that he seemed to be following their footsteps. So that is why he is suffering like them. 
According to Bildad, if Job repent, his latter days will be very great compared to his former days. To support his point, in chapter 8, verse 8, Bildad argues that what he says is what their forefathers search out and believe. In other words, Bildad is saying to Job, we believe this because old people and people who live before us believe that. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that why some people would not affirm the exclusivity of Christ? Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and they say, I hear what you're saying, but I can't neglect the tradition of my elders. When things go well in their lives, they say, I thank God and my ancestors. They don't mind believing in Christ as long as they will match him with the traditions of their fathers. However, the scripture is clear that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between man and God. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only shepherd who faithfully takes care of us, his sheep. He is the only bread of life that sustains us. He is the only vine from whom our life flows. He is the only light that illuminates our hearts. And he is the only resurrection and life. In him alone, our lives and eternal, and eternal future are secured. Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice, mediator, power, truth, miracle, and wisdom we need. If you have Christ but no worldly treasures, you have everything you need. If you have Christ plus worldly treasures, you are not better than someone who has Christ only. But if you have worldly treasures without Christ, then you have nothing. Jesus Christ is the only one we need. And Jesus Christ is the only one we have. If our forefathers did not believe in the exclusivity of Christ, then our forefathers were wrong. Just like Bildad was wrong in thinking Job should accept everything their forefathers believed. After Eliphaz and Bildad, Zophar also joined the conversation. Since Job was constantly affirming his innocence, Zophar argued that Job was full of talk. According to Zophar, Job was getting less suffering than he deserved. Like the other two friends, Zophar offered one solution. Job, you should repent. Now, it is significant to note that Job and his friends all believed in the retribution principle. They all believed that a righteous person should prosper, but a wicked person should suffer. So that to them, this principle was not in question. Two things were in question. Job's righteousness and God's righteousness. So, Job, what, what was Job saying here? Job was saying, I am righteous. And we know that Job was right because the first verse of the book tells us exactly that. Now, since Job knew he was righteous, but he was not prospering as he was supposed to, at least according to retribution principle, that made him question God's righteousness. According to Job, God was not giving him what he deserved. Now, that is the fallacy of human traditions and religions. They give you false assurance that you are doing everything well, but God is not fair to you. Or he is only helping his favorites. Which takes us to our last part. To persevere in faith when faithfulness seems to be producing no benefits, we need to understand the wisdom of the sovereign God. Look at, five, look at verse 5b and 6. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
Also look at verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Here we see Job repenting. That is because of the new knowledge he has. There were three cycles of dialogues between Job and his friends and speeches of a young man, Elihu, who seemed to be closer to the truth than others, even though his view was also shaped by the retribution principle. After that, God himself responded to, God, to Job. Job had been complaining about his suffering. He wanted to know why he was suffering because he was a righteous man. Job was looking for answers. But look at how God responded. God challenged Job, showing them that he is a creator and he is fully in control. The sea, the clouds and the waves are not just natural phenomenon. It is God who has set their boundaries and it is God who controls them. God reminded Job that he is just a man and his understanding is limited. Job didn't know how God governed his creation, so God took Job to school. While Job was complaining about the way God dealt with him when he was responding, God started by showing Job how he rules his creation. God showed Job that he did not just set principle and let them govern the world. Instead, he himself is fully involved and in control. Perhaps Job was used to seeing the wonders of nature. But now God was showing him that these are actually wonders of God. Job had to learn God's geography. Chapter 38 verse 4 says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made cloud its garment and thick darkness its swelling band and prescribed limit for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. God showed Job that he is the creator and sustainer of his creation. After that, God showed Job that he is in charge of the animal world. Charles Darwin explaining natural selection, which is his theory of evolution, claimed that organisms who adjust best to their environments are the most successful in surviving and producing. If you know the phrase, survival of the fittest, it's actually originated from Darwin's theology of evolution. However, God had long showed Job that there is nothing called survival of the fittest. In his speech, we see that God is the one who provides prey for the lion. He satisfies their appetite. God is the one who feeds the raven. God causes the mountain goat to give birth. And God is the one who gave the horse its strength. These do not survive and re reproduce because they adapt well to their environment, but because God takes care of them. Job needed to understand that God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is strong and mighty. God is all-powerful. God is fully in control. God is the commander-in-chief. God is all-wise. God is the creator. God is the sustainer. And God has all authority over all creation. In chapter 40, and 41, God spoke about Behemoth and Leviathan. Behemoth was a creature with an extraordinary strength and power. This creature could withstand any force against it. 
This creature was fearless and confident in such a way that even if River Jordan were flowing to it, it was not going to be frightened. However, with all this strength, Behemoth was just a creature. In fact, God himself is the one who took care of this creature. Likewise, God God spoke about Levathian. God showed Job that he could not capture this creature. God could, rather Job could not even domesticate this creature. He could not make it his servant or kill it. Job 41 verse 33, he says, On earth there is not like his, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. However, this creature was made by God. It is God who fed this creature. And it is God who knew how to deal with this creature. As we see, God did not answer Job's questions. He did not tell him why he was suffering. And Job did not know what happened behind the scenes. But after God's speech, Job got the point and he repented. So what is the lesson that Job learned? Job learned that God governs the world with his wisdom, not through retribution principle. God did not make a principle in the world that works like a vending machine, where you insert your good works and it dispenses all the benefits. God is sovereign. He governs the world with wisdom. All good gifts come from him, and he distributes them as he wills and according to his grace, not because of our good works. Brothers and sisters, we cannot, we cannot use our service to manipulate God. We cannot use our service to manipulate God. Because God graciously rewards his people for the good work that he himself produces in them. However, we should never think God owes us. God owes us nothing. Luke 17 verse 10, Jesus said, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Retribution principle implies that after doing well, God owes you something. But Jesus shows us that doing well is our duty as Christians. It is our duty to obey God. It is our duty to imitate Christ. It is our duty to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It is our duty to outdo one another in showing honor. It is our duty to walk blamelessly. After doing this, therefore, do not think you have earned a right to domesticate God. God shows Job that he is a mere man who cannot even domesticate all these creatures. How then can you think he can domesticate the Most High God? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Listen to what God says. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Job 41 verse 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on the thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves on the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness is mine. Psalm 50 verse 10. Brothers and sisters, when God gives good gift, it is not because we have achieved something or because we deserve them but it is because of who he is. A God who is caring, a God who is compassionate, a God who is faithful, a God who is loving, and a God who knows what's best for us. Our duty is not 
to domesticate God, but to trust Him. Our distress and frustrations and anger towards God are only because we don't want to trust God, but we want to control Him and make Him submit to our will. Tremba Longman said, God does not have to conform to some outside criterion. If it seems to us that he has not met our expectations, then it is time to review our expectations. When we affirm his wisdom, we are said that none of us could do a better job of running the will. Beloved, our sovereign God knows what is right and is able to do it. A wise man cannot cancel God. A powerful man cannot help God. And a rich man cannot give anything to God. God has everything under control. And this is what God wanted Job to understand. When we read God's responses to Job, it may seem as if God is saying, I am God and you are not, so shut up. But God is actually saying, I am God who is wise and powerful, so trust me. This is what God is saying. From Abraham, God teaches us faith in his promises. But in Job, he teaches us faith when we can't explain what is happening in our lives. Abraham shows us how to receive God's promises. But Job shows us how to receive his sovereignty. In Genesis, we learn to say, thank you God for your promises. But in Job, we learn to say, thank you God for you are in control and you know better. He holds the future in the palm of his hands. He never fades. He is fully in control. He called his beloved from sin and rebellion. He cleansed, justified, and adopted them to his own family. He continually sanctifies, purifies, and beautifies them. And he has promised to wipe all their tears away when he glorifies them. Can men continue to serve God when they see no benefit? Yes, they can only when they understand and accept his sovereignty. Like Job, they will say, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Glorious Father, God of heaven, salvation, power, and glory belongs to you. You are a God who knows better. More often than not, we don't want to trust you because you are sovereign, but we want to understand everything. But Lord, help us that we may understand, God, that you are in control. And Lord, you know what is good for us. Help us to depend upon your sovereignty. Help us to trust you, O oh Lord, for everything that you do, you do it well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.